Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the program this week, we look at the latest match-fixing saga in cricket, examine the latest rugby player exodus, and catch up with the triumphant New Zealand Sevens team. We look at Lydia Coe's decision to continue without government funding, and meet a member of the New Zealand Badminton team for the Commonwealth Games. The match-fixing saga involving former New Zealand international cricketers was back in the spotlight this week with reports the former black cap Lou Vincent has given information to the ICC's anti-corruption unit. Reports in the Telegraph and the Daily Mail newspapers say Vincent's provided details of match-fixing that took place between 2008 and 2012. That included matches involving the Auckland Aces at the Champions League in South Africa. The New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive, David White, confirmed ACES matches are under investigation. We have been informed by the ICC that some Auckland ACES matches in the Champions League in South Africa in 2012 are being investigated. I would like to stress that we understand this is very much an isolated incident. Match fixing is a threat to cricket around the globe and we remain 100% behind the ICC in their focus of fighting corruption. Our cricket reporter Stephen Hewson has been following the story. Stephen, what are the details that have come out this week? Pretty murky week for, for the match-fixing investigation for the, the ICC's anti-corruption unit. We've uh, had a story in the Telegraph and also the Daily Mail. I suppose the, the biggest revelations of this Daily Mail story and Lou Vincent's involvement. We knew Lou Vincent was speaking to ICC investigators that he was being looked into, but the details that have emerged are quite spectacular, I suppose, with this this Daily Mail, because he talks about how he was approached initially to uh, by an international player to take part in match-fixing in the ICL, the Rebel ICL competition that he was part of in India, and also talks about being involved in match-fixing in um, the uh, 2020 competition on the English county scene. It, it ranges over uh, several continents, and uh, also under the, the spotlight is the Auckland Aces uh, matches that were played at the 2012 Champions League tournament in South Africa. Uh, Lou Vincent was, was a member of, of that side. This report, well, the documents of the Daily Mail has obtained, uh, ICC documents, just how they got hold of them, um, who, who, who knows? Uh, but obviously there's a, a leak somewhere along the line there and they've got these documents that are quite explosive about, about what actually has gone on. And uh, what are they sort of saying in terms of what the details were of, of these fixes? Well, quite interesting. I mean, there were things like uh, Lou Vincent, would, depending on the colour of the bat grip that he was wearing, um, decided as to, was sending a message to... to um, 
bookies that the fix was on. Uh, it talks about a situation where in one match that uh, even tried to get himself out stumped but ended up hitting a hitting a six instead. Uh, and so that was the, the, the process, I suppose. The other thing was he'd walk away when a bowler was coming in to, to bowl. That, these were all signs that uh, the fix was on for a particular game and whatever he'd agreed to to, to do to um, in, in the spot-fixing spot saga. And how have the the affected parties in New Zealand, I guess, res- responded to uh, these allegations? Well, it's New Zealand cricket have shut up shop. They they made a statement earlier in the week when uh, about saying that they knew that the Auckland Aces matches in the, at that Champions Trophy or sorry Champions League tournament. They knew they were being investigated. They'd known that for several months, but they weren't going to say anything more than that. Um, and they've said that they've got nothing further to add, despite these revelations that have come about today at the, with, through the Daily Mail. Interesting to note too, though, Vincent says that he's actually still owed uh, more than $200,000 uh, by the player that, or he, who he described as an international star who recruited him. He says that he still owed $200,000 by that player for, for uh, match-fixing in the ICL. He also tried to justify, I suppose, the fact that uh, these this match fixing, these payments, the approaches, etc., by saying that he was only being paid around $50,000 to play for the Sussex County. So he's saying that, you know, he, he wasn't earning, wasn't earning big bucks and, and that's what drove him to, um, to take, take on these, uh, these, these well, to, to become involved in the whole process. Is there any indication as to when the, when this whole saga might be resolved and there's some sort of outcome? Yeah, how how long is a piece of string? Because it's um, the the indications that we're getting from the ICC, New Zealand cricket, is it's still twelve, eighteen months away, and uh, so yeah, so so any, I suppose, official word is still some way off as to just where things are at. Um, there's a couple of investigations going on. You've got uh, you've got the ICC anti corruption unit looking into an array of of. Um, match-fixing allegations. You've got the Metropolitan Police also investigating the, the case that involved Chris Cairns and, and Lalit Modi. That, that's still going on. That, so there's a whole whole raft or a couple of investigations, different different parties involved. And, uh, yeah, who, just yeah, who, who knows? Certainly a long time yet, and no doubt more and more revelations will, will come, come to the fore as this unravels. The rating of New Zealand's rugby playing stocks is taking on a new dimension, with fears overseas clubs are now targeting potential future All Blacks. The 23-year-old Crusaders' first five, Tyler Blandow, earlier this week announced he signed a three-year deal with the Irish club Munster. In recent years, the New Zealand Rugby Union has resigned itself to losing about 20 players a year to rich European or Japanese clubs, generally players coming to the end of their professional careers or second-tier players that aren't in All Black contention. But a new attack on the depth of New Zealand rugby is emerging, as Stephen Hewson reports. Todd Blackadder waits patiently. Oh, he's gone to the left again. Missing five consecutive shots at goal against the Chiefs earlier this season cost Tyler Blandahl his starting place in the Crusaders. But it hasn't put off Irish rugby club Munster. Both Blayendahl and the 24-year-old chief centre Bundy Key, who announced last month that he was off to Irish club Connacht, have for now turned their backs on future All Black careers. 
The New Zealand Rugby Union's general manager of professional rugby is Neil Sorensen. And he concedes the departures raise questions about the future direction of rugby here. We wouldn't want a host of people um, who get to 22 and just look ahead and decide that they're potentially not going to be an All Black and they'll go and play for France or, uh, or Wales and Ireland. But to be honest, there's not a hell of a lot we can do, really. We've just got to keep ensuring that we have a whole bunch of talent coming through and we have to accept that the professional game will evolve um, and if a trend does emerge, then we've just got to make sure that we're doing our core role well, which is recruiting and retaining and developing young men. Not being a regular starter for the Crusaders has been the catalyst for the change from Blyandale. And with Dan Carter set to return, he knew his options were limited. I'm not oblivious to the amount of talent we have down here. and It's a tough spot with DC coming back as well, so I just feel it's the right time to go and uh, play in international rugby. is obviously the peak of anyone's career, but I'm not going to turn my back on uh, being an all-black just yet either because that's been a goal of mine for a long time and um, this could well be a route to getting there, but similarly it could be Ireland as well. In the past, all-black's coach Steve Hansen's been critical of the likes of Arkey and Blandale, accusing those who head overseas of taking the easier option and lacking mental fortitude. At the recent naming of the All Blacks wider training squad, Hanson, though, was a little more restrained. As a player, once you make that decision to go overseas and, and maybe play for another country, then you certainly can't come back and play for the All Blacks. So, you know, I've always said right from the beginning that if that's their dream, then they should you know, hang around a bit longer. If it's not their dream, if their dream's about uh, financially getting their families uh, sorted, then, you know, obviously that's the right thing for them to do. Decisions like those of Blandals and Arkees perhaps indicate players are taking notice of the New Zealand Rugby Union's education programmes. Understanding a professional playing career is a short-term proposition, and younger players are opting to take up lucrative overseas contracts, even if that means foregoing their all-black dream. Neil Sorensen concedes the problem's only likely to get worse. Professional rugby is still relatively new in New Zealand. We've only been going about 19, 20 years. And this is potentially just an evolution of, of our game. And who knows, in, in 20 years' time, the Irish team might be half kids who are born in Australia, New Zealand and Samoa. We could sit back and moan about it and we can sit back and, and be concerned. And um, uh, but, but really all you're doing is, is potentially putting off the inevitable. The lure of an all-black jersey, it seems, is not quite what it was. That will put added pressure on New Zealand rugby's player production line, realising they're having to produce top-flight players for the domestic market, but knowing there's an ever-increasing export market for both new and used models. Tyler Blyandale spoke to Gemma Brackybush about his decision and says he still dreams of one day playing for the All Blacks. The dream of being All Blacks still there, but I think it's just a good time to go over and kind of never been to Europe, so it's a new challenge and I can develop myself as a player. And the option of coming back, it's still there, it's just a few years down the track. And um, do you want to come back to New Zealand and give it a crack later on? Yeah, well, it's just something called reassess, so, and I think my contract's just under three years, so I'll play that out, and you know, I've got to be playing well to have options, I guess, so that's what I'm focusing on. Was money the main factor in your decision to go? You've got to set yourself up while you can, as you never know. When your career could be, I suppose, on, off, over. Yeah, it's, it's not the sole motivating factor, no. It's um, more about opportunity, trying to develop, as I said, and um, I need to become the best player I can be, and that's how I'm going to set myself up for the future, I guess. How do other players in the team feel, like, you know, when you come and um, say that you're leaving? Yeah. I mean, is there any kind of, do they give you a bit of flack, or what's that like? No, it was, it was bloody hard to tell them, um, that's for sure, but no, they've been really supportive. Uh, that's probably the one thing you can't control is how people react, but um, I've had a lot of support and I'm uh, really grateful for that.
And did you expect that, or did you think, you know, when you were a bit nervous to tell them, what did what was going through your mind? Yeah, no, I was thinking they would be supportive. Um, I'll get the odd comment here and there, I'm sure, but you just take that on the chin. I guess that's what always happens in rugby changing rooms and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you feel like more young Kiwi players are thinking along the same lines as you go now while you still can make a while the sun shines, so to speak? <laughs> no, I think um, guys will just assess their own, I guess, opportunities, where they stand and... Um, you know, they might see themselves low in the pecking order, but they'll still have that dream, and it's just about uh, where they can, or well, the best opportunity for them, that's the best way I can put it, I think. Um, does the potential to play for Ireland play a part in your decision to leave? Is it something that would interest you? It's probably, again, it's not in the forefront. Um, it's something I'll assess when I get to the end of this contract, and you know, hopefully I'm playing well enough that I've got options to do what's best at that time. Do you know any other Kiwis over there playing, like, or are you just going off by yourself, that's it? It's pretty much by myself, I'm sure I'll meet plenty over there, um, there's plenty in Europe, so yeah, I'm nervous and excited at the same time. And setting yourself up, your family up while you can, versus chasing the dream of the black jersey, is that how you weighed it up? Yeah, ideally you can do both, <laughs> um, but I don't think it's about setting myself up uh, at an early age. Uh, I think guys have proven if you stick at it and you become successful, that's a way to do it. So um, I'm holding on to that dream for sure. It's something I've dreamt of since I was a little kid. So, um, you know, I'm just going a different way about it. And do you think more former age grade New Zealand reps who aren't all blacks will follow your lead as the professional game grows? Yeah, it's a hard one. I think the market's, you know, it's expanding globally and um, if guys are wanted, I think those opportunities arise and it's just down to the individual, as I said, to see what the opportunities for them. and. You know, they might look for a new challenge or it's just a different environment. And how much of wanting an overseas experience slash seeing other parts of the world, learning new cultures, um, how much did that play a part in your decision? Yeah, that's something that really excites me. Um, I've never been to Europe, as I said, so to go over there I'll be heading off with my girlfriend and, you know, we can explore the world uh, when we get the chance, but, you know, focus on rugby uh, first up. Tyler Blandell speaking to Gemma Brackybush. The New Zealand 7 side returned home this week with the World Series trophy for the 12th time after wrapping up the title in London. And while there was some time to reflect on another dominant season, it didn't take long for the focus to shift to the team's next big challenge, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. I caught up with the team at the airport in Auckland and spoke to Ben Lamb, who says it's pleasing to come home with another trophy. We had good preparation going into the last two tournaments and um, I think it really... All the hard work we did back at home really paid off the two victories, so it was good. Some pretty uh, crazy games at the end of um, that last tournament. Um, I don't think we've ever seen 88 points in a sevens game before. What sort of what what was the difference down to in such high-scoring games? Oh, I think it was being the last tournament. Everyone really had nothing to lose, and so you see, like Australia, I think they put 33 points on us in the final, and for them it was all or nothing. So. We knew they'd come out hard and we kind of had to do the same and ended up with 80 odd points, so yeah, it's good. How good is the side sort of feeling now heading into obviously the Commonwealth Games in a couple of months? Uh, side's feeling good. I mean, you're never really comfortable with your last victory, but having that under your belt going into Com Games is always handy, but you never know who's going to be in the next 12, so for us it's about getting better and improving. With talk of some Super Rugby players um, possibly coming into the side, do you feel like there's a bit of pressure on the on the specialist guys now to prove that 
they deserve the first crack? Uh, I don't really know. I guess it's kind of up to Titch, but I think for us, we've done all we can throughout this season to kind of show our wares. So I think it'd be more pressure on them to kind of come in and try and prove that they're better than us. But it should be interesting, and who knows, really. So you feel like you you sort of have the uh, the upper hand at this stage, and I've got to I've got the work to do. Oh, I think it's hard kind of tra- transitioning between 15s and 7s. I think fitness will be the key thing, but I think in terms of game time, it kind of benefits us having played more throughout the season. But, I mean, they're all good rugby players, so it wouldn't be too hard for them to switch. Do you think it would help the team having um, s- some guys, super rugby guys in there as well? Uh, never really tell. I mean, every tournament's different, every player's different, so every time you're playing you're not sure what, what you're going to get out of someone or if they're up for it but I mean any good rugby player is always beneficial to a team. And just looking at the Commonwealth Games, where do, for you personally where does that sort of rank? Like, Where would a Commonwealth gold rank say compared to World Sevens title? I think it would probably be the biggest achievement if I was to win the gold because um, it's only around once every four years so I guess you only get one crack at it realistically throughout your career, so ranked pretty highly. And of course, of course have, with New Zealand having always won it there, you feel like whoever is selected, there's going to be a lot of pressure to do the job? Yeah, there's always a lot of pressure when you I guess haven't lost the game at the Com Games. So, I mean, for us, it's put in the hard yards now and then kind of back that to get you through the tournament. And I guess we all know what we need to do. The New Zealand golfer Lydia Ko will no longer receive government funding, following a review into her successful start to her professional career. New Zealand Golf had applied for more than $200,000 from High Performance Sport New Zealand to help pay for Ko's coaching, travel and mental skills training leading into the 2016 Olympics. However, Ko and New Zealand Golf have decided that funding is no longer necessary following her most recent win. I spoke to the High Performance Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Alex Bauman and asked how the decision was reached. There was always going to be a discussion at, at some point in time and uh, I knew that New Zealand Golf were liaising with her management team in the United States and um, uh, then New Zealand Golf at, at um, one stage last week uh, came back to me and, and said that um, uh, Lydia felt that um, post the win um, that there was no need for further financial uh, assistance from High Performance Sport New Zealand. So uh, that was the decision that they came up with, and um, uh, you know, uh, Dean Dean Murphy uh, told me that news. And are you sort of pleased with that decision? Um, and that I guess an athlete's realised that there's no longer a need and has made that clear. Oh, I'm I'm fine with the decision. I mean, my main concern is making sure that uh, her needs were were being met, particularly in the transition. Obviously, uh, Lydia is still very important to us in terms of the campaign for Rio in 2016. Uh, Golf is um, a a new sport. Uh, Rio is uh, certainly a a new venue, and, and there'll be some challenges uh, with that, so we hope to uh, to maintain that connection through New Zealand Golf, who has an ongoing relationship with with Lydia and and the management team. Yeah, and I guess also the danger is you don't want an athlete turning down funds because they feel pressure from the media or or other avenues if they there is a genuine need. 
Uh, absolutely, I think uh, that that's correct. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, they thought about it long and hard as as, as well. But I, I do think that uh, there are other ways, uh, from a non-financial point of view, that that we can make an impact and and make sure that um, the preparations for for Rio are are are. Um, uh, you know, there, there's no gaps, and, and part of that is, you know, we have a knowledge for uh, Edge for Rio program in t- terms of intelligence uh, gathering. We're working with uh, the New Zealand Olympic Committee to make sure that all the planning for those games for New Zealand is is um, appropriate and uh, efficient, and, and that we're all coordinated as well. And I think, you know, if if she comes back in, to New Zealand and, and there's a need to uh, use our facilities or perhaps get some performance support, uh, whether that's strength conditioning or, or medical support, then we would be in a position to, to be able to provide that. But there's no dollars that would be coming out the door. Sure, and I guess um, you, you'll be trying to stay in touch with her as much as possible and her team leading up to the Olympics over the next couple of years just to make sure she's happy and everything's going as it should be? We hope so. But we would be working through uh, New Zealand Golf um, because they they do have that relationship and um, we always go through the national sporting organisation so it's uh, really going through Dean uh, to make sure we understand exactly uh, how we can help um, in in that regard. Cool. And I guess... um Obviously, there was some money in the book somewhere that was sort of put aside should uh, Lydia need it. Now that that money's not going there, what what happens to it? Well, it goes into a pool. Uh, normally, our processes are uh, October and uh, November where we have annual reviews and we have the application process for campaign sports and also any individual athletes. So it would really go into that pool. Uh, to be distributed for uh, 2015. An eight-strong New Zealand badminton team has been named for the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. The team features Hamilton siblings Oliver and Susanna Leyden-Davis, who will share the court in the mixed doubles. Joe Porter caught up with Susanna to find out what it's like teaming up with her brother. Playing with Oliver now, we've been playing together for coming up two years, so it's just one of those extra special things on the circuit. Um, now it's probably an added advantage for us having that relationship both on and off the court. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be awesome to be able to share that experience both with him and our fellow New Zealand players on the team. Just looking at the mixed doubles, what, I guess, is, do you sort of hope to achieve? So we're looking, we're sitting in the eighth spot, um, so hoping to retain that seeding going into the game. Um, and looking, a quarterfinals finish should be great. Uh, anything above that will be just awesome being young, first games. Um, learning from that experience, it'll be yeah, just what we can get from there on in will be a needed bonus. Do you think you're a realistic chance of a medal or is that perhaps putting too much pressure on yourselves? Um, at the moment that's quite high, I mean it'll be great obviously we're going in there to bring back what we can um, a big performance would be awesome um, but yeah, quarterfinals and eighth seeding is where we're looking at heading at the moment and you'll be competing in the mixed doubles, and Oliver, I guess, does the men's doubles as well. What, yeah. what are the, what's the differences, uh, and I guess Oliver can speak probably more to this, between playing mixed doubles as compared to with another woman or another man? Uh, well, the big thing is that the guys just being able to hit it so hard, really. <laughs> There's just a sheer strength in there. With the women, um, it's a put in the mix that changes the game up a lot, so uh, we'll be playing at the front part of the court quite often and really looking to keep that rotation with Oliver attacking from the back and just me cutting off the angles and really setting up the rally at the net there. So whereas in men's doubles, it uh, changes quite a lot where you've got the two rotating around each other, um, both being able to attack quite strongly 
Um, whereas in the mixed doubles, it's a lot harder to have a female at the back. She's a lot easier to pick out in the court. Is this sort of, I guess, a step towards a bigger goal of perhaps representing uh, the country at the Olympics in the mixed doubles, or do you are you focusing more on your, your sort of individual careers? How do you think it's going to pan out? Um, yeah, well, after the games, we'll go into a big review. The last two years has been quite solely focused on that. We've also got the world champs up in Copenhagen a few weeks later. Um, ideally, we would, I mean, it's a career goal, really, to represent New Zealand and compete at the Olympic Games. Uh, for us, everything's self-funded. Uh, so we'll go into a review post the Games and World Championships and see what the next two years leads for us and heading into Rio coming up in 2016 and then also the following Commonwealth Games in 2018 and how we can strategise around qualifying for those two events and international travel and where we can base ourselves for training. Would it be fair to say that your best chance of gaining a medal either at the Com Games or eventually at the Olympics would be as a mixed doubles pairing? Uh, yeah, for sure. We're both... Um, double specialist, so don't do singles too often. <laughs> um, so yeah, at this stage we're both going through that mixed doubles line and Oliver with his men's doubles as well. What makes you a double specialist? Where along the line did you decide to focus on that? Uh, for me it was quite early on. I was about sort of 15 or 16 and that's where my strengths were lining, um, lying and the singles just ended up on the side thing. Once you come to that point in your career, the training style is quite a bit different. Um, so you end up specialising down one line and the doubles was just Sort of fell into place and me started getting a few results down the doubles and mixed lines and kept pushing with the trading down those alleys and we ended up where we are today. Having such a close relationship with your playing partner, does that give you guys an advantage, do you think, having, you know, I guess know each other's game for so long and almost having a bit of a, a sixth sense as to what the other might be doing? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely got to that point now. There's a lot of work to do when we first started playing together and trying to get that understanding of each other as well, just like any um, new relationship on the court. Uh, but yeah, at the stage we're doing really well in the communication-wise and um, bring those successes, those losses. It's cool to be able to share those together and at times having that sibling relationship just has an added edge for us. Being self-funded, where, I guess, you know, how long do you give this a nudge before it gets to the point where you think, I should probably go and try and find a real job now? I mean, obviously <laughs> you're still very young and you've got a lot of uh, talent and potential to, to reach that top level, but... And it must be hard trying to weigh those things up when you, you know, you've got to actually worry about how you're getting over to these sorts of places. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be, we're going to keep pushing for as long as we possibly can. Um, we've come this far and we've had so much support from so many different avenues. Um, it's just one of those opportunities that we've got to keep going with as far long as we can. Uh, we're real lucky that we've had amazing support from our parents right the way through. Um, but that's not an empty pot, uh, endless pot either. So <laughs> we've got, well, both of us are involved in study at university, as well as I've got a job here in Hamilton too, so it's just a balance of trying to fund that sport, keep going and keep the focus on the sport as well when we can, and get that balance right the way through, and yeah, the focus is right at the right time. That's Joe Porter speaking to Susanna Layden-Davis. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz, and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves, and we'll be back with more Extra Time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.